2 Samuel 6, 14. And this is a story about worship. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. One more time on 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Thank you. We're doing comedy at a church. Like, how's this gonna work out, really? I mean, some people are like, I just came to see this thing explode. <laughs> What's so amazing about doing comedy at church, when I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. You couldn't laugh at church. I remember one time laughing at church because this lady was jumping around and her wig fell off. So, that stuff was funny. Her wig fell off and then my I laughed, my grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch. You gonna twist? That's the devil. Is it all right to laugh in church sometimes? Is it all right to loosen up a little bit? Sometimes I think we uh, get so rigid, right? So reserved. We're gonna be talking about 
worship for three weeks. And, and in particular, of course, worship's a big word, and worship can mean a lot of different things. And so I want to be specific about what we're talking about in this series, is what we do when we come together. Uh, yes, worship is bigger than the songs that we sing. It, it involves our whole lives. We can live a life of worship to God. And we've talked about that in the past. But this particular series is dealing with what happens when the church, God's people, gather together for worship in a special way, a together sort of way. We call that corporate worship. What does that look like? And what should it look like? And I want to challenge you and me through this series to stretch ourselves a little bit and to worship with more feeling and with more uh, passion than, than we have, maybe than what we're accustomed to. And for some of us, maybe than what we've been accustomed to our whole lives as we've grown up in church. If you're like me, you grew up in church where people just were kind of more reserved in their worship. And I'm not prescribing any sort of particular model of worship or a culture of worship. I'm simply saying that what's going on in our hearts should be reflected on the outside as well. And, and so we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about worshiping like we mean it. And I want to challenge you with this and this is something for us as a church. I want to be clear up front as well that this is not addressed to the people who are on the stage. This is addressed to all of us. And yes, there's things that we can do in leadership or things that we can do with um, planning and practicing that can help our worship together. But ultimately, how you and I worship when we come together has very little to do with which songs are sung or which scriptures are read or whether the preacher is ugly or any of that. It has to do with the condition of our heart. And it has to do with, with a culture that we develop together. You and I. And, and how we worship God when we come together. And so I want to talk, with, talk together about that for a few weeks. And we're going to talk about uh, worshiping like we mean it. For three different reasons. And the second two reasons actually have to do with the people around us. Other people. Uh, but this first message, you know, I'm glad you're here because th those hinge on understanding this first and foremost. That we worship like we mean it so that he'll see it. So that he'll see it. God. Now I know what some of you are thinking because I've always thought the same thing. God doesn't look at the outside of a person. He looks at the heart. I want to challenge you on that subject today, though, as well. We take that from when Samuel went and anointed David, and he was searching for God's next anointed, and he came to the house of Jesse, and he said, where are your sons? Line them up here for me, and God's going to pick one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. And he saw the oldest son, and he thought, oh, that's the guy. Look at that guy. Yeah, he looks like a king. And, uh, and then God was like, no. And that's when God said... You guys look at the outside of a person to determine whether they're qualified or not. But God looks at their heart. And he ended up picking little old David who didn't look like a king at that point at all. He chose him. And so the context of that is that when we look at a person to size them up, 
We look at the outside and we look at what they say and what they do. That's all we have to go on. God picks people that we don't expect a lot of times because he's looking at the heart. But did you know that just because God can see the hearts of people, that doesn't mean that he can't also see our exteriors. <laughs> God is perfectly capable of seeing the outside of you as well as the inside of you. Of seeing what you do as well as what you think and feel. He looks at the whole picture. And so what does he see when he looks at us? When we gather to worship? Is there a quality about our worship that has nothing to do with the musical quality or the eloquence of the speakers or anything like that? A quality that is there about our worship when we gather together because it's heartfelt. Because it comes from a genuine place of love for God and love for others. We read this story today about the Ark of the Lord coming into Jerusalem. And just to give you some background on that, uh, along, like when Moses led the people out in the big exodus, right, out of Egypt, uh, God began to set up some things for them to live as a nation. And they were a nomadic people for like 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness and they'd set up a tabernacle instead of a temple because they didn't have a permanent residence. And so they'd put this tent of the Lord up and then take it down. And part of what God instructed them to build for that was this ark. The ark of the covenant. The ark of the Lord. And this ark represented God's presence. It wasn't an idol in the sense that they didn't think that was God. It's just that God's presence dwelt there. It was a, a powerful symbol that they placed then in the midst of in the most inner holy section of the tabernacle. They would keep God's ark there. It represented his presence. Now, at some point, the ark actually got kidnapped by their arch rivals in the region, the Philistines. And the Philistines, yeah, it was probably scary. The Philistines thought they had done something awesome. They had the ark of the Lord. And they're like, oh yeah, we stole the ark of the Lord. Israel's not going to be able to do anything to us now because we've got the ark. And so they took it to their city and they set it in their temple next to their god, Dagon. And it's a hilarious story you should read in, in uh, 1 Samuel about how uh, the next morning they woke up and their god was laying face down Prostrate, prostrate before, uh, before the ark of the Lord. And they said, oh, that's not good. So they set him back up. <laughs> and the next day he fell down again and broke. <laughs> and then the people broke out in sickness. And so they said, we got to move this thing. So they moved it to the next village over. And then they got sick. And uh, pretty soon the Philistines were giving back the ark. <laughs> take it, take it, we don't want it. And uh, so then it hung out at, uh, let's see, what was this guy's name? Ambinadab at Ambinadab's house. I mean, why not? It's probably a good place to be. So it was just hanging out there while they figured out what to do with it. And Ambinadab's sons helped to guard it and protect it. And uh, David at this time was still setting up his kingdom and, and he had set up Jerusalem as his capital. And in prayer, he felt like it was time to move the Ark of the Lord to Jerusalem 
the capital city where eventually the temple would be built to house the ark. And so it was a moment of celebration when he went with the people out. And, you know, David often kind of flirted with not only being king, but also almost in a priestly um, job description, I guess. He, it kind of was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would be for us, prophet, priest, and king in one. And so David took on the garment of a priest that they called an ephod. It was a linen... It, the best way I know to describe it is it looked like a front and back apron. <laughs> if you wore an apron on the front and an apron on the back, you'd look kind of like a priest, with a, if it, you know, especially if it was linen or something, I guess. Which, who has a linen apron? Probably nobody. But, just say you did. It's kind of what David looked like. Now, I don't know if he had it on any clothes underneath that. I don't know, you know, an apron's not that covering. So maybe... Uh, maybe it was a little bit risque, I don't know. But the word that they use when, when they said uncovered, in case you noticed it was talking about him being kind of out there, uh, the word could just mean that he uncovered himself, that he showed a side of himself as king that should have been held in reserve, right? It wasn't very kingly. Uh, so it could have just meant that, or it could have just meant that he was just wearing an apron on the front and the back. I don't know. Anyway, let's look at what happened. It says he was wearing this ephod and he was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. I would just wonder what that looks like. A guy in a double-sided apron dancing with all his might. I guarantee you, one of our ushers would put their arm around such a fellow and say, let's talk. <laughs> Let's just step outside for a minute here, Dave, and uh, visit about what's going on in your life. <laughs> different culture, different time. But I want you to know, he wasn't even really standing out that much. Because everyone was shouting and blowing trumpets, and this was just the way they celebrated back then. And so if you were worried that I was going to tell you that you need to dance with all your might and blow trumpets and shout... That's not what I'm saying. They had their culture, and that's the way they celebrated in their culture. And they were excited about what God was doing, and so they celebrated it the way they celebrated it. And here we are in our culture. How do we celebrate? Different people in our culture celebrate different ways. But you can look around at society. You can look at yourself. Check yourself when the Saints score a touchdown this afternoon. How do you celebrate? <laughs> then you'll know. How do we celebrate? We, we have church culture, right? And, and in church culture, people celebrate different ways. Sometimes we clap our hands for something. Not just to say, hey, great job to whoever was on the stage, but to celebrate with them what God is doing, what we just said about God. And so we celebrate. We clap our hands. That's the way that everyone in our culture celebrates things. We clap hands. Sometimes we raise hands and say, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we feel something, and we, sometimes we're moved to the point of tears. There's all these different outward expressions that we have in our culture for something like what we feel or are supposed to be feeling and experiencing together when we come together to worship God. What is it for you? How do you express emotion? 
How do you express what you feel when you feel something or when you're celebrating something or when you're moved by something? We're told that when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, so she is the professional in the building when it comes to how to be king in Israel. Her dad was the first one. He set the, the standard of what kings were supposed to look like in her book and in her mind at least. She came to him and met him and apparently had been watching. Watching from the sidelines, seeing how the king behaved down there as he brought the ark into town. And she said, oh, you've really distinguished yourself today. Looked like a fool. And we, don't, again, don't know if she was criticizing his lack of modesty or if she was criticizing just the way he behaved in a way that showed a side of himself that wasn't very kingly. And I think that's probably more likely uh, because we know he at least had the ephod on. But anyway, that it was inappropriate. And inappropriate in front of uh, you know, the girls and everybody out there that he was just acting a fool. Hmm. You know, when we worship, I think that's one of the things that we fear when we come together, is what will other people think? One, you might come with the notion of, or the concern for, from a good place in your heart, I don't want to be a distraction to anyone else. Uh, or second off, you wouldn't for sure want to be singled out, or called out, or accused of shameful behavior <laughs> I would just mention notice where the criticism is coming from it's coming from the person who wasn't out there worshipping no one out there with David cared because they were all worshipping too their hearts were in it too. They were all in part of the celebration too. It was the person on the outside of the celebration looking on that had criticism to share. So David replies to her. And this is our key for today when we talk about worshiping like we mean it so he'll see it. David points out, look, I wasn't doing this for you. I wasn't doing this for the slave girls. I wasn't doing this for anybody except the Lord who chose me. Not your dad, by the way, who you think set such a great standard of what it means to be king. Apparently it didn't set God's standard and that's the standard that I'm concerned about. And so before the Lord, I will celebrate and I'll become even more undignified than what you saw today. I will be even humiliated in my own eyes. I'll be ashamed of myself because I'm going to worship with abandon this God who's been so good to us, who's been so good to me, who chose me. And so he said, look, I'm not worried about what you think, Mikal. I'm worried about what he thinks above everything else. And so it's good for us to remember at the outset of this series as we talk about what it means to worship like we mean it so that he'll see it is noticing that we worship for an audience of one we worship for an audience of one 
we can't forget or take our eyes off the fact that above everything else, we've gathered together to worship together for one audience member. It's a little unusual. We're not used to that scene. We're used to the scene where there's one performer, one soloist on the stage, and a whole throng in the crowd, in the audience. This is different. Here, when it comes to worshiping God, who is one, we worship together as one, before the one, as if he's the only one that we, as a group, care about. Remember that your audience of one sees your outside just as clearly as your inside. I recognize that whenever I talk about worshiping expressively, see I used to be a worship pastor and I would talk to my worship team about this as well and remind them that we're here to lead the church in worship, to inspire their worship and part of that means that we have to really express our worship because you who we're trying to lead when we're on the stage cannot see our hearts. So even if our hearts are really in it and feel it, if we can't express that outwardly in some way, it does nothing to inspire your worship to join in with us. And so I would talk to my teams about this and the response I would get was, it just doesn't feel genuine. It feels like forced or something. Like, I'm just not used to, that's not me, that's not my culture, that's not the way I've ever worshipped before. And so, I, you know, I'm just not sure if I can do it. And so with them, I would just say, well, look, uh, for one, again, just reiterating the point that no one can see what's going on on the inside of you. And so we as leaders have to express in some way. Uh, to encourage other people to worship. But beyond that, the second point and the biggest point that matters, of, you know, the biggest point of all is that God doesn't just see your heart. The point of that, again, was to say that when God's picking who he's going to use for a certain job or task, he doesn't look at the qualifications that we look at. He looks at a person's heart and he chooses them based on what he sees inside them that we can't see or fathom. But when we love the Lord our God, when we worship the Lord our God, he says do it with your heart and do it with your soul and do it with your mind and do it with your strength. God's not just interested in whether we worship in our heart. He wants it to be expressed. And the truth is that what's in the heart comes out. What's in the heart comes out. It's supposed to. That's the way he wired us. So I want to challenge you today to worship as though God is a consuming fire, worthy of awe and respect and reverence, because he is mighty and there's none like him. And he holds our lives in his hands. And the life of every living being in the entire universe is sustained by his power. That's who we've gathered to worship. And I'd like to ask you to worship as though he loves you more than anyone else has ever loved anyone else. That God who is love 
in his very primitive nature, as we learned on Wednesday night in our adult study. At his very heart, at his very core, his primal nature is love. Worship him as though he loves you more than anyone ever loved you. Worship as though he's given you hope and joy and peace that passes understanding. Worship as though he's faithfully seen you through some really tough stuff. Because he probably has, if you've been around very long. If he's done that, and if you've experienced him as that, and if you believe that about our God in here, then show it. Ultimately, show it to God. Worship before your audience of one. I want to give you a homework assignment this week. I don't do that very often, so when I do, I expect you to do no. Give you a homework assignment. I want, as soon as possible, and before you forget, and maybe you want to write it down so you don't forget. If you're like me, a while back I started writing stuff down so I wouldn't forget, and now that's the only stuff I remember. Anyway. I want you to find a place alone, and if you're a parent, that's hard. Maybe you'll have to tag team with your spouse. Find a space alone, by yourself, preferably where you're really alone, like no one's going to see you or hear you. Just you and God. And I want you in that space, if you're like me, you probably need to close your eyes and use your imagination a little bit. And I want you to picture yourself before God, before His throne, just you and God. And as you picture yourself there, worship Him. Worship Him. Allow what you feel on the inside of you as you look at God on His throne, the God who loves you, the God who formed you, and everything else in this world. As you stand before God Almighty's throne, worship Him there in that quiet place, in that lonely place, in that place of solitude. Worship Him. Let your heart pour out. And then part two of that. Instead of just picturing you and Him alone like you did first, Picture yourself there with all the throngs of heaven gathered before the throne in a huge mob of worshipers and join in. Join in the chorus. Join in the celebration. There in that quiet place as you use your imagination and picture yourself before the throne. Have a vision of it. Experience it. Worship Him in that place where He really is your only audience. Do this. And when we gather again next Sunday, come together with the recollection, with the memory, the, the memory of, of what that moment was like and what it felt like to worship before an audience of one. ran across this quote. said, We should neither hide nor over-control 
are feeling behind a reserved, formal, and deadpan exterior. Because one sign of genuineness is that there is a full range of emotions. See, in truth, I'm not asking us to be something we're not. I'm asking us to be human. I'm asking myself to be human. That if there's something in my heart that I feel that a genuine expression of that should express itself in a full range of emotions. And again, to be clear, I'm not prescribing anything. I'm not saying you should raise your hand. I'm not saying you should shout. I'm not saying you should start singing if you hate singing. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying engage in worship from your heart and let that heart flow out of you however it it needs to within reason, okay? (laughs) We're going to talk about uh, some more of that, but look, if the fellow worshipers are looking at you like, hmm, then that might be a problem. You might have taken it too far. All right, David wasn't concerned about Michal. She wasn't even worshiping. He was just joined in in the excitement with the people of God. And this is something we must do together. And we must feel our way along together. Right? This is not something where when we sing How Great Thou Art in a minute, we're just all going to be like, Woo! How great thou art! (laughs) We're not going for that. We're going to have to feel our way along with this a little bit. We're going to have to encourage one another along gradually as we get used to expressing ourselves. And every week's going to be different, and every song would be different, and every scripture reading would be different. It's not like we're saying, uh, you know, copy this church down the street, do what they do. Or it should always look like this. But probably there should be times where you're excited enough to clap your hands. Probably at some point there should be something that moves you to the point that tears well up in your eyes. Probably there should be a moment where you just feel like you need to bow your head in reverence or even kneel at your seat or at an altar. If there's something going on in your heart, then probably there's some emotion that you need to express. I knew about a church, just to drive this point home more about that we're in this together and no one's, this isn't about each of us, uh, I think this is something that's lost in our culture. We're so individualistic and we are with our worship too. And when we come to worship, we want to just think of, okay, it's just me and God. It's just me and God. And some people do that and they get way out in left field. I knew about a church where there was a lady who, I mean, it was just her and God when she came to church. And so she would come down to the front and start wailing, like loud wailing. And nobody else could worship. They're all like, what's going on? And this became like a weekly thing, and they eventually had to address it with her. And uh, oh, So, look, the point is, all of us together, worshiping together. Not you doing your own thing while they're doing their own thing. We're coming together as one to worship with feeling, with heartfelt passion and love for the God who loved us first and called us together. And so we're here. Maybe singing's not your thing. Good news for you. He just said, make a joyful noise. He didn't say, sing in perfect harmony. 
sing right on pitch every time. It's not in the Bible. But come and engage. Come and be a part of this worship as we worship before an audience of one. Our verse that we're going to set about memorizing. You know, I've thought about our kids are memorizing Scripture, and we're not. (laughs) And memorizing Scripture is something that uh, God's people have been doing to uh, help the process of renewing their minds for generations and generations and generations and thousands of years. And so it's something we should be doing as well. Maybe you already do this in your life, but if not, maybe this would be a starting place is that together we could start memorizing a verse or two here and there. And so here's 1 Peter 2.9 for you, and maybe you can take it home with you this week. Uh, But read it with me one more time today. But you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That verse, when you read the, the whole thing, also talks about how we're a priesthood. That we've gathered together to declare the praises. We are, that's who we are as God's chosen people. You have, been, you have an assignment to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so when we gather together, we come to do that. And we recognize when we gather together that when we're sitting out here, I'm not trying to impress you. And I'm not trying to impress them. I'm trying to impress God. And all of us together, we are the performers. You are the performers. When you come to church... You didn't know this, and you didn't go through a tryout or anything like that, but you are the performers. The people on the stage are not the performers. They're the prompters. Their only job is to get the performers to perform before our audience of one. And so if you could, when you come to church, when you gather together for worship, Don't worry about them. And don't worry about whether it's your favorite song. And don't worry about whether it's your favorite scripture or it's your favorite service chair. My favorite's Julie. (laughs) Don't worry about that. Worry about together bringing our praise before God. We worship for an audience of one. We're going to sing in just a moment How Great Thou Art. But before that, I want to ask if you'd just stand with me and we're going to close in prayer. And if you know the doxology, if you don't know it, don't worry about it, but I don't have the words on the screen. But if you know it, Let's close in prayer by singing it together now as the praise team comes and leads us in How Great Thou Art next. Praise God from whom all blessings